morning, my name is Helena. I'm a member here at Outward and a, a volunteer in our kids' ministry. Sometimes they let me read scripture up here with you guys. Um, for the summer, we're going to be stepping out of Luke for a second and into Galatians. So our scripture today is Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father God, we love you so much. Uh, Lord, we are so grateful to be able to gather uh, this morning uh, together in two places, here and in Silverton. God, we, we gather and we are excited to worship you. We are excited to learn from your word. God, we are excited to uh, see what you would have for us. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts and open our minds to your word, your truth. And God, I, I pray that uh, uh, you would just affect us on a deep, deep level this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'm, I'm excited about this morning. I don't know if you got the memo or if you know what's going on, but uh, Outward Church just planted a new church this morning. How incredible is this, right? This morning, for the first time, we are, uh, we are bringing God's word. We are declaring the good news of the gospel, both in Salem and in Silverton. So as you look around, you might notice that some of the people you normally see aren't here, uh, but, but they are, in fact, over there as a part of that core team planning that church. Uh, we, are, we are doing a shared leadership team, and so the, the leaders there and, and here, we're all working together. Uh, there's going to be some uh, trading off and, uh, of, of people and positions going back and forth, and this is a good thing. We want more and more people to hear the gospel. We want more and more people to know who Jesus is, to be radically changed for the sake of, of God our Father, and, and this is the best possible way. And in fact, uh, churches, unfortunately, churches close their doors all the time, right? That's something that is going on in our nation. This last year was really, really rough for many churches. And we're just excited to be a part of the opposite of that, to see churches opened, to see uh, more people have the opportunity to know who Jesus is. And so uh, we're just a part of that this morning. Uh, and, and as uh, others have said already, like, this creates more opportunities to serve, to be involved, uh, to get to know people. We need, we need you know, more ushers and more people in children's ministry and more people in the band. And we need, like in all of these areas, we need more people. And so uh, I just want to encourage you, if you have not yet served at Outward, uh, to jump in the summer and, and do that. Uh, here or in Silverton or both. We just would be really excited to see that happen. So, so that's a really great thing. I'm excited. I'm actually so excited to be preaching up here this morning on Launch Sunday. This is just this is a, an awesome thing. For 14 years, we've been a church. For 14 years, we've been praying that God would open doors for us to plant more churches to see that happen uh, and, and to finally be here on this day. It's a good, good thing. Uh, additionally, you may have noticed the new space we're meeting in starting this morning. Uh, it's got a little higher ceiling. It's great. Uh, and, uh, and maybe a little bit of rain uh, or sun. I realized what a terrible Oregonian I am this morning because I came dressed like this. I didn't bring like a jacket uh, or, or hoodies or gloves or sunscreen or sunglasses. So at any point, the weather may change. 
If that sun comes out, I have super sensitive eyes. I won't be able to see a thing. So if I'm just stumbling up here blind, somebody help me out, okay? Uh, but yeah, we're going to be doing this all summer. Here's what's great about meeting like this. We get to be all together in one service, which is just incredible because I love seeing everybody. And if we're just coming to one service, you know, we tend to kind of miss half the church. And so we get to see everybody together. That's a really great thing. We have essentially limitless space, right? So bring some friends, bring your family down. Like, let's fill this parking lot. We can block the street. Like, we can have fun with this, right? Put some people up on the roof. We get stadium seating. It's fine. Uh, so we're going to have some fun this summer meeting together like this. Uh, children's, uh, those that are serving in children's have one service to serve for. The band has one serving in children's have one service to serve, to serve for. Uh, I, I only get to preach once. And so if it's good, great. I can't mess it up a second time around. If it's bad, sorry. Uh, go watch the Silverton stream. I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, all right. And then here's the other thing I'm excited for. We're starting a new book of the Bible. Uh, I, I just, I love preaching all of it. Uh, the, the, some of the students in the youth group know that I, I claim a lot of books of the Bible to be my absolute favorite book of the Bible. This is another one of those. Uh, I love Galatians. I absolutely love Galatians, and I'm excited to be taking a break from Luke to spend the summer in Galatians, uh, seeing what Paul has for us there, seeing what God has for us uh, through this letter, and then we'll get back to Luke, and, and that'll be great too, because uh, that's another one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, and so um, we're going to be spending 30 13 or 14 weeks going through this. Uh, Tim Keller has a book. It's called Galatians for You. If you have not got the memo, we're, we're going through that together as a church. It's going to be a great uh, kind of guide and supplement to uh, this series going through uh, Galatians and, and essentially chapter First half of chapter one is covering the same verses that we're talking about this morning. So if you've not picked that up yet, grab it on Amazon or, or a local bookstore, grab it. Uh, I think they've got copies over there. I don't know for sure, but uh, th that would be really good. Just be reading along with us. It's a pretty short, easy read, and it's just going to help reinforce the things that we're learning and, and teaching together as we're going through Galatians. Uh, and in, in Galatians, as we start this off... Um, Paul addresses it to the churches of Galatia. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this before. I'd never noticed this. It's the only time that, that Paul addresses one of his letters to churches, plural, in Galatia. It's normally to uh, the believers in this place or to the church in this place, singular. Uh, but this is the churches in Galatia. And so we know just a little something about the churches in Galatia that there were more than one of them meeting in this place. You might say it's the original multi-site church, uh, which I think, you know, just like, how cool is that? There's even more parallels to what we're doing, uh, you know, as if it's written to the churches at Outward, right, or the churches in the Salem area, uh, and things like that. There are multiple churches meeting, multiple expressions of the body of Christ meeting all over the place, and that's not just limited to our town. It's not just limited to, to Outward and what we're doing. Like, God is doing an incredible work here and everywhere. God is doing an incredible work in China and in the Middle East. God is doing an incredible work everywhere, and and in, in that way, we're just excited to be a part of the, the church, the global church, uh, and, and now in, in a couple of different expressions of that. Um, as, as we get into this book, kind of the, the overarching theme, uh, and in fact, I, I think the title of the series, normally we would have a, a cool screen with uh, some graphics behind us, uh, but that's not there. But, but kind of the, the name for the series that we chose is No Other Gospel. 
No other gospel. There are other gospels. In fact, we're going to see that Paul lays out right, out right away that although things claim to be gospels, although things claim to be good news, although things claim to have salvation, there is really no other gospel. There is one gospel. And we want to know what this is. And the, the church in Galatia was, was being led astray. There were teachers that had come in and they were burdening the people in Galatia. These, these church members, these new Christians, Paul uh, went out, planted these churches. He's there for a time. He leaves and then other teachers come in and start burdening them with all the things you gotta do to be a Christian. So you've believed on Jesus, great. Now, let me tell you some other things. You need to do this and this and this. And primarily, they were focused on uh, upholding the entire Old Testament law, uh, circumcision and dietary rules specifically named, and, and we can assume that there are others from the Old Testament in there as well. They're saying, if you, wanna, if you wanna stay saved, if you wanna continue in Christianity, if you want to be really one of Jesus' followers, there's a long list of things you need to do, and make sure you don't miss any of these. And Paul is confronting this. He's, he's warning and he's confronting because to, to twist the gospel like that is to lose it entirely. If you take any small addition and you add it onto the gospel, it becomes no gospel at all. There is no gospel now. Uh, and, and so it's so important that we know and understand the real gospel. And in fact, Although Paul really launches right in, and he's going to, and this is, uh, I think, the letter with like the shortest greeting, he just gets right into correcting. Uh, he, he says, in, in, and we're going to talk more about this next week, but he's astonished that they are deserting him who called him right. He's astonished at what's happening at this church so quickly, but before he can get to that, he has to praise Jesus and he has to tell us what the real gospel is. And that's gonna be our focus this morning, is looking at the real gospel. And this is one of the shortest and most concise, in, in, in today's passage, one of the shortest and most concise explanations of what the gospel is in, I think, all of the Bible. I absolutely love it, and I love what he does, and he's doing this so that before we talk about all the fakes, we need to know about the real before we get to the counterfeits, let me remind you of the gospel that you received. Let me remind you what the real gospel looks like, and then it's going to be easier to spot and identify the fakes. Uh, now, I, I, um, I don't like deal with a lot of fake things, and 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 I don't deal with a lot of like counterfeits in my business and my daily life. But my uh, my sister and brother-in-law own a pawn shop. Uh, they, they uh, you know, buy and, and sell things all the time. Uh, they love it. They're, they're doing really well at it. And uh, I'm so proud of my little sister and, and what she's doing. And, uh, and I was thinking, like, man, I need some good stories about counterfeits. I need some good stories about, you know, fake goods. Uh, and I was like, oh, I need to call my sister. So I called her up yesterday. And, like, oh, man, she's got stories. She has got stories on stories about the, just the sheer numbers of people that come in with what they are convinced is the real deal. What they are convinced, they, they do a lot of jewelry. They are, somebody bought this thing online or they bought it from someone else and they are convinced this is a precious a gold uh, piece of jewelry or, or a precious stone. This is, this is incredible. And, and they bring it in and she has to be the bearer of bad news and say, I'm sorry, that's a fake. 
uh, it's not worth thousands like you imagine. It's worth nothing. Or it's worth maybe 25 bucks. And it's like, it's crushing. Um, and the reason my sister and her husband are able to identify the fakes is because they're so familiar with the real, right? They spend time and, and, and do classes and, and they are around the real thing all the time. And I'm amazed, I mean, from, uh, she was just telling me, like, obviously jewelry, stones, gold, silver, that stuff's faked all the time, as you can imagine. Uh, you know, counterfeit bills, you see that sometimes uh, as people are trying to pay for things. Um, handbags. Uh, apparently are something to be faked. I don't understand this, but uh, like, you know, whatever. I, I guess some handbags get pretty spendy. Uh, cool. Uh, you know, watches, things like that uh, are faked. Um, retro game cartridges. There are, a, it's like a whole industry now is counterfeiting retro like Nintendo 64 game cartridges. It's a whole thing now. And so people come in with these like cool, rare, you know, Nintendo 64 cartridges and they have to break it to them. It's fake. It's not worth anything. It's, it's bogus. And it's, oh man, how disappointing, uh, how disappointing that is. Uh, my sister specifically told me this story uh, about a, um, a gal that came in. She had, uh, she was looking to get a loan on a ring. This was her great grandmother's wedding ring. Right? This had been in the family for generations. Uh, great-grandfather gave this to great-grandmother when they got married, and it was her ring all the way through her entire life, and then it went to her grandmother, and this was a precious, prized possession of her grandmother, right? And then, and then her mother got it. It was, it was gifted to her, and she had it uh, for so long, and then she gave it to her, right? Uh, four generations, this precious, and it had this huge diamond, beautiful, uh, ornate ring, and, and it's been in the family for all this time, and she says, hey, I, I'm not looking to sell it. This is, this is like dear to our family, but I do need a loan. I know it's worth many, many thousands of dollars, and so I just need to get a loan on this for, you know, whatever they got going on. Cool, no problem. Uh, my sister starts taking a look at it, and she can spot pretty quickly, this is not a real diamond, uh, it, in fact, it, based on the age of it and the, the, they found a serial number and all this stuff, it's actually one of the earliest moissanites, uh, which I don't know anything about gems or anything, but it's like a, it's a man-made stone. It's made in a lab or a factory or whatever. Uh, and and <laughs> it was not worth, it, had it been a real diamond, it would have been worth somewhere around $30,000. It was, in fact, worth about five hundred. Oh, and on top of that, like the family secret is out now, right? Great grandpa was kind of cheap. Like what happened? Uh, so that's like disappointing on multiple levels. Uh, so that's, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about fake goods and, and the Galatians were being sold a, a fake bill of goods. They were being sold something that was not the real gospel. And Paul is here to remind them, let me tell you about the real gospel. Let's study the real authentic thing. And then there will be no doubt what the fake looks like, right? So as we jump in, and I just want to read again. This is a super short passage. I just want to read this here. Verse 1, Galatians 1. If you've got your Bible, bust it out. Let's do this. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, Right? This is not a man-made message. This is from God. If you know anything about Paul's conversion story, he actually was a persecutor of the church. He was killing Christians uh, out of his religious zeal. 
And then Jesus shows up, the resurrected Jesus shows up physically to Paul and says, uh, no, you're not going to do that anymore. In fact, you're going to go and preach for me. And Paul is converted. It's an incredible story. But he received this gospel directly from Jesus, directly from the source, not through man. And he's just establishing that right now, that this is through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, verse 2, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Verse 3, grace... Uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. There are three things here that Paul lays out when he's talking about the real, authentic gospel. Three things that I want to break down and talk about briefly this morning. Number one is grace and peace. Number one, that, that he, he grants them grace and peace. Number two, in this present evil age, or, or to deliver us from the present evil age. And, and I want to talk briefly about what that means. And then number three, that Jesus, was, uh, gave, Jesus gave himself for our sins. That is the, the heart of the gospel, and I want to make sure that every one of us is crystal clear, uh, myself especially. We want to be crystal clear on what the real gospel is and why Jesus gave himself for our sins. So first of all, grace and peace. This just struck me as I, as I come to verse 3 and I'm reading this, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that, grace and peace. These are two things that do not appear in nature, right? These are two things that do not appear in our daily life on their own. We want them. We strive for them. We long for them. We want grace and we want peace and our world does not offer either of those. It promises them, certainly, but it does not truly offer them. Just think about grace in light of our current culture, right? If, if, you, if you have a job, you probably got that job by going to an interview. And at that interview, you need to perform, right? You need to say the right things, do the right things. If you go into an interview wearing the wrong thing or with the wrong resume, if you go into an interview and you say weird stuff, uh, listen, I, I hire people in my business. I've had some, some, some great job interviews. People say weird things, all right? You're not going to get the job. You can't say weird things in a job interview. Save it for later when they're a little more familiar with you. Like, hide your weirdness, okay? These are job tips, okay? I, I do a lot with the youth group. You just need to know this. Hide your weirdness, okay? Uh, you've got to perform, and if you don't perform, is there grace for you? No, you, you don't, they, they move on to the next applicant, right? That's just how the world works. We, we understand this. And then once you are hired and you get the job because you've pretended not to be weird for a minute, uh, you get the job, now you need to continue to perform. If you don't meet the expectations or do what's expected of you, is there grace? I mean, maybe once or twice, right? Maybe there's some coaching and some process, maybe a, a time of training. And there comes a point, though, where you, if you're failing to perform, I'm sorry, we got to let you go. I'm so sorry, this just isn't, the grace has run out. We, we don't work and live in a culture where, where grace prevails. 
um, you know, the, the whole cancel culture thing that's going on, right? If you say the wrong thing, tweet the wrong thing, have a video clip turn up from your past, it doesn't matter how long ago it was, and I'm not trying to excuse anybody's ill behavior, but I'm just saying, is there grace for that? No, there's not, right? You'll be canceled. Your show's gone, your job's gone, you're done, you're never gonna work in this town again. Is that grace? No, that's not grace. And, and we, we can argue whether or not that should be. All I'm saying is that we're not in a culture that, that has grace at the culture that, that forefront. Grace is a foreign idea. If you say the wrong thing on social media or post the wrong thing, you will lose friends. People will unfriend you. You will lose followers. Right? People will no longer want to see you and your things. You will be uh, written off, canceled because of what you've done. Is that grace? No, it's not grace. It's not grace. Grace in the gospel, it, it, it doesn't give us freedom to sin, but it, it gives us freedom to to live, right? It gives us freedom to try. It gives us freedom to, to strive, to, to be with Jesus, to, to make mistakes. Mistakes are, are a part of life. Uh, my my uh, daughter, Ruby, my oldest daughter, she's learning to play the piano uh, from Michelle, actually, who was just singing. Uh, she's doing really well. She's got a real natural uh, uh, kind of knack for it, I think. Uh, better than me, anyway. Uh, and and she, she loves playing the piano. And when she first started playing, we, we really struggled uh, that if, if she couldn't play something perfectly, she would just melt. She would just break down, right? She, she, just, she would be crying. She would run to her room. She wouldn't want to sit at the piano. She wouldn't want to touch the piano because she can't do it perfectly, right? She was working on the assumption that there's no grace for my learning the piano, but, you know, we were able to encourage her that, I mean, yeah, make mistakes. That's okay. Uh, we're not going to, uh, you know, take you out of piano lessons because you make some mistakes. This is how you learn and this is how you grow. And it's not a perfect metaphor here, but, but the, the grace that God gives us, it doesn't get canceled if we make a mistake. The grace that God gives us uh, is not temporary, uh, but it's permanent. You see, Jesus goes to the cross and he dies. See, Jesus goes to the, in my place for my sin. He offers the same to you. If you will place your trust in Jesus, he dies in your place for your does not deserve death. He dies in your place, the one who deserves death, right? And he takes that punishment on himself and he gives us, instead of our sinfulness, he gives us his righteousness, Right, it's called the great exchange. I get Jesus' righteousness. He takes my sin and he dies for it. And now I stand before God, not based on my works, but on Jesus' work. I stand in front of God and, and, and I say, uh, you know, he says, why should, why should I let you into heaven? Not, well, that's not because of anything that I did, but it's because of what Jesus did, because Jesus was perfect and Jesus uh, was sinless and Jesus uh, was everything that I couldn't be and Jesus took my sin to the cross and he gave me his righteousness. Now, if I mess up, and let me just be real with you for a minute, I struggle with this big time. I've had conversations with the elders uh, in, in kind of the, the privacy. I'm just <laughs> like putting that out here now, right? But, but in the privacy of, of elder meetings, like, guys, I struggle with my salvation. I struggle that, that there would still be grace for me. Like, 
the, the more I grow in Christ, the more screwed up I see that I am. How could there be grace for me? How could this be? And of course, that's, that's a wrong thinking. That's a misunderstanding. It's bad theology. And, and fortunately, I've got good friends to point me back in the right direction, and, and I can go to God's Word and see what real grace is. But you see, if, if I mess up and I sin, and, and God says, that's it, you've reached the end of my grace, now you need to be punished for that sin. You know what's happening? Jesus has been punished for that sin, and I'm being punished for that sin. And that's not just, right? It's not just for two punishments for one sin. God is perfectly just. And when Jesus takes my sin, it's done. It's done. And, and that grace is, is, is for all of it, for all of my life, for every sin. He knew uh, as he brought me into this thing how messed up I was, and it didn't scare him away. His grace prevails, right? So um, th this, is, this is the real grace. There's actually a quote from, from Timothy Keller, which I just thought was so good. Uh, I've heard this before, and, and it just resonated with me. He says, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial, right? If somebody doesn't really know me, but they love me, that's superficial, uh, comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. Does that, does that resonate with you, right? If somebody sees me deep inside, if they see what I'm really about and they reject me, they don't love me, that is the thing which I fear the most. I think there's truth in that. And he says, but to be fully known and truly loved is a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything it liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's so good. That's so good. That's what real grace is all about. Uh, it's God fully knowing us and fully, truly loving us. That's good. So that's grace, and then he says peace. This, too, is something we don't have in this world, right? We're always striving for it, though. But, but who has time for peace? I mean, we, we've got we've to be going, we've got to be pushing, uh, striving, achieving, right? Maybe if I have enough in savings, uh, then I'll feel peace, right? If there's enough of a security blanket there, enough of a cushion, should something financially go wrong, then I'll feel peace. And I'll tell you, it doesn't happen, right? Uh, in fact, there's studies that, that show that the more money people have, uh, the less peace they feel in many cases. That doesn't, that doesn't happen. And, and so we do, we go on vacations. Uh, and I have four young kids. Vacations are not filled with peace, <laughs> okay? I'll just tell you right now. Uh, we, we set up plans for retirement. Uh, and, and, we, and we save and we strategize and we plan for retirement. And then, then when I retire, I'll have peace. And we take on hobbies and we uh, take up new interests and we watch uh, entertainment, and we are constantly striving for peace, and it just never comes. This world just doesn't offer peace. There's never enough, and what the gospel offers is real rest, real peace. Jesus did the work, and do you know what I bring to that? Nothing. I can rest in that. Jesus did it all for me. I can offer nothing toward my salvation. So do I need to strive and stress and, and be anxious? 
No, I can find real peace there. That's why he says grace and peace. It is complete and it is eternal. And then Paul goes on uh, and, and he talks about this present evil age, right? He, he does this to kind of contrast against grace and peace, which God offers. And then here's what the world offers. It is this present evil age. He says that Jesus um, uh, will deliver us from the present evil age. And like, I don't even need to spend much time on this, right? Like, show of hands if you don't think today's age is evil, right? Like, we don't need to spend a ton of time on this. I read a, a bunch of, like, clearly Paul is declaring his own day a present evil age. We go, okay, yeah, there, there's a lot of things going on uh, back then that, that was pretty, pretty terrible. I love re reading um, Charles Spurgeon sermons uh, before I preach. Like, I just love, uh, he was preaching uh, in, in the mid-1800s, 1860s, I think, this particular uh, message uh, that, that, that he gave on this passage. What, what was going on in the 1860s? The American Civil War, right? The, the battle over slavery, uh, like human slavery. This is insane. Was that a present evil age? For sure, for sure. Uh, Spurgeon's Day, there was a present evil age. Um, in fact, my, my wife told me she read his uh, autobiography uh, and, and um, apparently he, he had... Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he was a uh, preacher in England. Uh, he had very strong things to say against uh, the American practice of slavery. And uh, a, a bunch of pro-slavery Americans got together and had Charles Spurgeon book burnings uh, because of what he had to say. Like, how crazy, right? Present evil age. And then I, I listened to a, a sermon from uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones who, uh, who's preaching through the, the 1940s and 50s and beyond. What was going on in the 1940s? Right, World War II, the Holocaust, was that a present evil age? Yeah. And then I just look at our day, and it's like, I don't even need to get into it. There's no debate. that The evil age is ever-present. And so when Paul says this a couple thousand years ago, and when we read this today, there's no debate there. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Jesus offers deliverance from this age and every age. Evil will persist in this world until Jesus returns, right? Sin and Satan are at work in our world. And in fact, Satan doesn't even have to off, uh, like, like jump in on it often, right? Our own human hearts bring such tremendous uh, evil that, that there's no question that evil exists and persists in this world. But right between these two statements, when, when he talks about the grace and peace and he contrasts that with the present evil age, right in the middle is where it's so sweet. Right in the middle, Paul says something that, that is at the heart of the gospel. Let me read it again. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. What is Paul doing at the beginning of this letter where he is going to be addressing fake and false gospels, but he is establishing for us and reminding the Galatians of the real thing? Uh, Spurgeon, in, in his sermon, he used this great illustration, so I thought I'd rip it off, um, right? He, he says there's, there's two preachers. Uh, one preaches against uh, all of the false teachings and, and all of the things that are wrong, right? And the other one uh, never does. 
he, he's, he's only preaching the gospel. And, and the, the first preacher comes to the second and says, what, uh, what are you doing? Why don't you ever teach against these, these false principles and these false gospels and, and all of this? And, and he, the, the illustration he gives is so great. He said, if you have a stick which is crooked, the only thing you need to do is lay a stick next to it which is perfectly straight. And all the crookedness of the first stick can be seen clearly, right? All we have to, de- to do to see how crooked a false gospel is is lay it next to the real gospel. Lay it next to the, the, the one that is true and straight. And then there's no debate how crooked the first one is. We must know this real thing. And, and this is not just for the non-believer, right? Uh, 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 it would be an error to say the gospel, the basics of how you become a Christian, what Jesus did on the cross, that is an elementary principle. That's something that somebody needs to know at the moment of conversion. But then we graduate on to more advanced things. Let me have the, the, let me have the real meat, Brian. Let, let me get into the, the deeper things of theology. And I'll just tell you, there's nothing deeper than this. This is not just for the non-Christian or the new Christian. It is especially for those who have been Christians. Who, who's Paul writing to? The churches in Galatia. They've been Christians. This is not a letter to the non-Christians. It's a letter to the Christians. And what are they doing? What are the Christians doing? They are deserting the real gospel. We must, we must remind ourselves constantly what the real thing is. We must pursue Jesus constantly. We must know his word deeply so that we are not fooled and led astray by those deceiving uh, and, and sometimes enticing false gospels. We must know the real thing. I'll tell you one last story uh, from, from my sister. Uh, so a few weeks ago when I preached, I told only vacation stories. Uh, this is pawn shop story day, okay? This is just... I love telling stories, but I'm not very creative. And so, like, I, I think of one, it's like, I'll just go with that. I've got a theme. Uh, so here we go. Uh, somebody brought in a, uh, uh, somebody brought in a, a, a ring, like, really ornate ring. Uh, had this incredible stone, uh, this emerald, I think it was, or something like that. Um, and, and my sister and her husband, they're looking at this thing, and they're, they're studying it, and they're, they're looking all around this when they're uh, fairly new in their business, and they're like, this thing looks real, like, but it can't be, right? It, I mean, like, this is crazy. This is a crazy big stone and, like, perfect in every way. This has got to be fake, right? And so they're looking at it and they're studying it and they say, hey, I'm, I'm so sorry. We, we just don't feel comfortable. Like, this is, uh, my sister said, like, this is the, the kind of buy that, like, would put the whole business at risk. Like, they got to know. They got to know if this is the real thing. And so they sent it to an appraiser who only does precious stones, that is their, their whole job, their whole existence, a business that just looks at precious stones to tell you, is it real or not? They are experts at the real thing. You might say kind of like Paul, right? An expert at what the real gospel is. And, and so they send it to the, the appraiser, and, and the appraiser says, it's real. And in fact, more than real, it's actually of a finer grade and quality than we even initially thought. The closer we look at this, Stone, the more we realize how incredible and true it is. And, and they, they just wanted a little more confirmation. They wanted a little more confirmation. And somehow my brother-in-law gets a hold of the designer of this ring, right? He, back in New York, gets a hold of the designer of the ring and is able to talk to the, the, the designer. And in fact, after all this time, he goes, oh, I remember that ring. I remember that one specifically. Let me tell you all about how I made it and why I made it, right? 
they, they were able to go to the very source and hear all about uh, the origins and, and the truth of this thing. And so obviously they, they bought it and, and they sold it and, and it was a great thing. Uh, but they, they wanted to make sure and they went to the experts uh, to see what, what is the real what is the real emerald or what is the, the real ring supposed to look like? What's it, uh, you know, what are the things we're looking for? And again, that's, that's what Paul's doing here. Uh, he's showing us the, the real gospel. And in this, uh, in this brief statement, we see so much about uh, the, the real gospel. Um, verse four, who gave himself, right? The Lord Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. And I just want to spell this out. I don't know if, if anyone here is, is completely uh, foreign to the gospel. I don't know if you've never heard it or if you've been in church your whole life and you've been hearing the gospel your whole life, but let me be crystal clear on, on what the gospel is. It is first and foremost, we acknowledge that God, the real God who made all things, made us, right? He made us and he wants to have, uh, he wants to have uh, a relationship with us. And something happens back in Genesis 3, sin enters, right? Sin enters the equation. And, and before we go and blame Adam and Eve for the whole thing, which I love to do, uh, but like, let me own that. Let's own it as a church. Like, it's not just Adam and Eve that ate some fruit. Uh, okay, it's me not eating enough fruit, right? Like, I sin by eating too many desserts. I wish I would only eat fruit, right? Like, I sin all the time. I sin in so many ways. We all do. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. We all have gone astray. No one seeks for God, not even one. Sin has separated us from God, but he has a plan. He wants to deliver us. He wants to rescue us, as it says in some translations. And so Jesus enters. Jesus, the Son of God, uh, God in the flesh, comes and lives on the earth the perfect, sinless life. He never sins. He is perfect and faultless. And yet he goes to the cross and he is murdered. He takes uh, and, and he becomes the sacrifice that is owed for our sins. Jesus takes our sin on himself. He dies on the cross bearing the guilt of our sin. And then more than that, Jesus is buried. He's fully dead. He is buried. And three days later, God raises him from the dead. God accepts that sacrifice. The, the payment, the debt for sin is satisfied in Jesus. And, and he delivers us from this present evil age. And the only thing we bring, the only thing we bring is, is just faith. Like all we can do is just believe. Believe in Jesus and he will save you. That's all he asks. That's all we can do. I can offer nothing more to that gospel. It is full and perfect and complete. God lacks nothing. And he calls me into that grace and that salvation. He calls me into that and I have but simply to believe. And you have but simply to believe. That's the, the, the heart of the gospel. That's what Paul is reminding them of. And it's of God's will, right? Because even, even my will, even the desires of my heart would keep me uh, estranged from God, would keep me uh, separated from God. 
would keep broken relationship from God. And so God imposes his will and he says, no, I want to save you. He plucks us out of our sin. He plucks us out of our destruction. He plucks us off of the path that we are on and says, let me give you life. Let me give you something new. And why? Paul says it right there. Uh, according to the will of our God and Father, verse five, to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. God is glorified. God is glorified when we decide to follow him. God is glorified when he saves us from our sin. God is glorified as his kingdom is expanded with these wretched sinners who offer nothing uh, and he brings them in and forgives them through Christ and his blood on the cross. And it's to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It is God's grace alone. It is by faith alone, in Christ alone. We see that in scripture alone, to God's glory alone. There is no other gospel. There is no other gospel. That is the theme and and the title of this series. And for 13 or 14 weeks, we are going to examine and dig into the reality that there is no other gospel. My, My sister, unfortunately, has to deliver bad news to people all the time. People come in believing that what they have is a real item, has real value, and they get there and she says, I'm sorry, it has no value. It's not worth anything. Or it's worth much less than you expected. Let us not go and stand before God with our, our perverted gospel, with, with a misunderstanding, with, with Jesus plus works righteousness, Jesus plus uh, these things that I have to do and these things that I offer and these things that I add to it and say, God, look at what I have. And like my sister, he, he's gonna look at that and say, well, that's of no value at all. The, the real gospel is the one that I gave you. The real gospel is the one that's Jesus and nothing else. Right? Let's, let's have and hold on to the real gospel. No additions. No subtractions. The real, honest gospel. The one from God. The one where Jesus does it all. Let us hang tight. Hang on tight to that. Uh, we're going to do communion. Uh, and, and we do communion in in several different ways uh, and, and at different times. What I would like to do this morning is a little different than what we've done recently. I actually want to, uh, we're not gonna take it all together. I'm not gonna lead us in taking it. Instead, what, what I'm gonna do is, if you don't have communion already, uh, as the band plays this first song, go ahead and get up out of your seats. There's communion tables spread around. There'll be a couple ushers too, whatever's closest to you. You can grab that. Spend a little time reflecting and thinking about the gospel which you've believed in? Is it the real gospel? Or have you added something to it? Have you taken something away from it? If so, let's repent of that. Let's turn away from that. Let's return to the real gospel, the the Jesus-only gospel. And then we'll take communion together. And communion is simply a reminder of the gospel. Jesus set this up and he said, every time you get together, as believers, as followers, I I want you to take and, and break bread. And remember my body, which was broken for you. 
broken and hanged on the cross. Remember that. And then take the juice and, and, or the wine, right? And, and drink that and remember my blood that was spilled, that I spilled out my blood for you, that this is the new covenant, that you are secure in that salvation because of my blood. And so we're gonna do that. We're just gonna take a quiet time and reflect through this song. We're gonna take communion on our own. And then we're gonna worship Jesus together in song right now.